Hello, my name is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I've been interviewing celebrities since 1984 when I trained as a journalist. I am now turning a selection of those interviews into podcasts for a collection called the PJ Archive. The first is with the wonderfully named Polly Styrene, who became an icon as lead singer and songwriter with the punk rock band X-Ray Specs. With a voice once described as powerful enough to drill holes through sheet metal, she belted out their hits such as The Day the World Turned Day Glow and Germ-Free Adolescence, which was the title track of their classic 1978 album. Their best-known song, Oh Bondage Up Yours, didn't chart because it was banned, though that turned it into a cult record. Polly's success with X-Ray Specs was all too brief, and sadly she went on to experience mental health problems, which affected her subsequent solo career. Her marriage didn't last long either, though she had a daughter Celeste, who she raised partly while with the Hare Krishna movement. I was fortunate to interview Polly Styrene in July 2009 at her modest cottage in Hastings, where she was living under her real name, Marianne Elliott Said. She was on wonderful form, interesting and entertaining, and excited to have new material to promote. Yet tragically, just 21 months later, aged only 53, she died from cancer. Her daughter Celeste co-wrote Dayglow, the Polystyrene Story, a book published in 2019, and she is also co-director of Polystyrene I Am a Cliché, a film premiering at the 2021 Glasgow Film Festival. So it seems timely to present my interview with the woman Bill Board hailed as the most unconventional front person in rock history, which began when I asked about her father. Osman Mohammed Saeed. Oh, he died recently, a few years ago. He was one of 21 children by three wives. So, from Somaliland. And my great-grandfather was... Um, I think they were like the one of the ruling families there when the British were there. But when the... When the British left, then a lot of my father's family were killed and my dad came over on the Royal Navy ship. He said he stowed away, but I don't know whether that's true or not. And uh, your mum is... Joan Elliot. English and what? British, yeah, sort of middle class. She is from Hastings. I was born in Bromley in Kent. And um, my mum moved to Brixton because my auntie, I was born in my auntie's house, who's now dead, and she would not allow my father to come and visit because it didn't look very good in the Bromley suburbs. A black guy coming to visit. Do you think I was very insecure as a child? Because you... Well, you just wouldn't just didn't fit in. I mean, it was very difficult. Um, being in the 1950s, when I was born, 1957, um, it was unheard of to be... My mum was a single mum, single parent. My dad was around, but he didn't want to get married well they couldn't get married because my dad was a Muslim and my dad already was married and he was allowed to have more than one wife but my mum she kind of took up Christianity and she had friends that were missionaries in India so they advised her just to be on her own which I don't think was necessarily the best because my dad wasn't actually he had an estranged wife in another country I used to feel really uncomfortable about my dad turning up being really as dark as the ace's face and then all my friends you know think you know what I mean even though I'm half dark myself I'm not a light but um, it was just the whole thing having a white mum and a black dad at that time and it wasn't really 
considered normal in the 1950s. So if you have that, that's going to make you feel really wary of seeing your dad. And your dad turns up and you get a big sort of hoo-ha around when your dad walks into the neighbourhood. In these days, to see someone of mixed race is just... It's normal, yeah. In those days, very different matter. Did you get much persecution? Oh, it, it wasn't that bad, actually, when I was a, a young child. I mean, the boys used to... Because I, I lived in a, in a housing estate... And uh, some of the boys used to go, I love you, honey, but you're the wrong colour. Are you an only child? No, I've got a brother and a sister. Tell me about that. She's a half-sister. I think, you know, he had a few problems from childhood, really. Mm. We both did. We were both held at knife point at two and three years of age in, while my mother was in a convalescent home by this woman's teenage son. You know, we were mildly abused, not too seriously but mildly abused and I think later on that affected us as we grew up. When you say abused, in what fashion were you abused? Well, sexually abused, yeah, but mildly, not intensely, you know, but we were held at knife point to say that we could never tell anybody. So uh, my brother was only about two and a half or something and I was about three or something getting on to four and I've had a lot of counselling and therapy for that. Because people associate you with the punk era, the yeah. angry young man. Do you think you kind of drew on some of this subconsciously? Possibly. You know, I was angry, yeah. yeah. Probably. I was getting it out and I didn't realise it. Because it, it came out, I started to remember it again, after the punk era. Were you from a musical family in any sense? Or are your parents, grandparents, whatever, at all musical? Yeah, my grandparents. My grandfather was very oh, musical. Mothers. And they didn't have television, so they used to have musical evenings. Yeah. And my grandfather could play the piano by ear, he played the piano accordion, piano. My mum played the violin. And um, all his children, they all just used to get together and have a musical evening. But I, uh, my mother played piano in Sunday school. And, um, no, before Express I think, she bought me a piano. And um, I never had lessons because my mother's family could all play by ear. Oh. But I did have lessons eventually to learn the chords and things. And when did you start getting interested or showing any signs of music? Or... Oh, I loved it since I was a child. I mean, I loved writing songs. I used to write songs in the playground about the dinner lady. Really? Yeah, I remember. When you were it was primary school. And were they cheeky songs? Yeah, I was like, oh, Mother Johnson coming this way, who does she think she is? <laughs> 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 but, you know, when I think about it now in retrospect, I think my ambition was to be in... I always wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be an actress. I failed rather. Um, I, I really wanted to do something like that. How did you got into the music industry in the first place, then? Well, I started in Bath Arts Workshop in, right. in Bath when I was uh, running away from home, which was a bit naughty. Um, and uh, I had a little band there. I was in a little band there. And then I came back and I already knew my manager from before when I was 15. I met him. I met him at the Oval House. He was at film school and I was in a play at the Oval House because I used to do drama classes at the Oval House mm -hmm. in Kennington. That was near where I lived. He saw me on stage and said, come round for an audition. So I went round for an audition. You were just acting. Um, but because he was at film school, I suppose he thought I had presents for filming. And it turned out that he actually had... He used to write music, and how it started was that I originally went round there and was singing and recording some of his songs for him, putting the vocals on for his music. And then I started writing my own, and of course... Um, 
a bit unfortunate for him, but what happened was the record companies didn't take up his songs that I sang, mm. but they took up my songs. His songs were nice, but they were too nice. You know when they say, too sugary? Well, that was it. He was yeah. doing the sugary stuff. I yeah. remember the first song I did for him, it, it was... He went, I'll sing a little song for you, best little song that I can do for you. So it's very sugary. Very carpenters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gather that the whole X-ray specs thing started when you went to see the Sex Pistols at Hastings. Is that true, or is that that is true? And that's in the ballroom, which was a Victorian ballroom. Funnily enough, to imagine seeing the Sex Pistols in a Victorian ballroom. What year would that have been? That was in the 70s. It was before X-ray specs started. It was on my 18th birthday. Did you feel at the time that was a watershed moment for you? Well, it was because I was already had a solo a solo record deal, only only for a single and with GTO Records. It was a reggae song, which is a comedy. It was just a, a silly novelty song, and um, I, I was working with all these session musicians. And my manager's sister was married to Phil May of the Pretty Things, and so for lunch on Sundays we used to go round to her house, and there'd be Led Zeppelin, the Pink Floyd, and all these and the Pretty Things. They'd all be there, and it was like I wasn't really, it wasn't really my age group. They were just that much older than me, and they were like rock aristocracy, really. And, and then the sex, I saw the Sex Pistols, who weren't known, they weren't rock aristocracy, they're probably punk aristocracy now. They were playing a few cover songs, they, were, they didn't have all their, their new songs, they didn't have Anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen and any of those songs. They were just playing cover versions of the Stones, but because they were closer to my age, they're a little bit older than me, but because they were closer to my age and they dressed differently to the, you know, the long, they didn't have long hair for instance, I think they had black leather trousers on and they had a different look. It was just a different look and a different age group. And it just made me think that I could get a band together rather than work with all these older session musicians. Because the first time I did Oh Bondage Up Yours, I did it with Gary Moore from Thin Lizzy. But I felt that they were too sophisticated because he's such a good player. Mm. And then I wanted to be like the punks. I wanted mm. to be like the Clash and the Buzzcocks and the, you know, that fast sort of more you know, younger, so I advertised for a, a band my own age. You, you've been brought up by your mum, who was a legal secretary, is that right? Mm-hmm. What did she want you to do? Uh, become a doctor. Right. Yeah. So how did she feel about you flirting with music when you started Really out? bad. Especially punk, I mean, she must have thought, no way. Yeah, well, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was when she worked, she was also worked at Boat Magazine, and um, when she was at Boat Magazine, she asked them what punk was, and her editor said, it's the lowest of the low, and she was like, <laughs> So she wasn't too happy about that. So that kind of spur you on to think, as teenagers do. You know, I didn't, I didn't actually. No, I just felt, I felt a bit, it was a bit embarrassing, actually, for me, because I remember sort of, it was really difficult, because it was like all of a sudden I was associated with this real dark, sort of dirty, sort of, Sex Pesley thing, but then I knew John Lydon because he was my neighbour in Gunter's Grove and he was quite a nice guy. And I didn't see what all the fuss was about, but then I guess it was just the tabloid story, you know, mm. to sell newspapers to a certain extent. But it wasn't just the newspapers, it was Malcolm McLaren just because he was getting loads of publicity, wasn't he? Hyping them up. Hyping them up, yeah. Mm. But I mean, John had to live with it. So I felt it was quite difficult. John didn't like it, he never used to open the curtains. And, um, you know, it, it was... Uh, now he advertises country life English butter. 
Was he a bit like that then, a completely different to his image? Yeah. Tell me about the, the difference in him. Um, he was just quite a nice gentleman, as far as I can remember. I mean, I remember sitting up around there all night with him, and he was a real gentleman. I was very young. He didn't try anything on. Um, he just talked to me and played records, and we just stayed up all night playing records. And I just think he was a real nice gentleman, you know. And I met his mum, and she was a nice lady. Yeah. So when you saw him on stage, and he was, you know, safety pens and spitting... Well, we loved that. You know, that's what we liked as teenagers. We didn't think about anarchy in the UK or what it meant, or God Save the Queen, or, you know, we just... It, well, it had familiar things in it, like the, the UK, for instance, was very familiar to us. Yeah. I didn't know what anarchy meant. Um, <laughs> God save the Queen. Well, we knew what God save the Queen meant, because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was part of the national anthem. So, um, you know, it was familiar, but I think what it was was the excitement around it and the performance and the energy. Yeah, did you ever fancy any of the other artists, any other male artists? Do you ever have to flip? I had a, no, I never, um, but I had a crush on Johnny Lydon. Did you? Yeah, I did. Did you ever come close to it? <laughs> no, like I say, he was a complete gentleman. I was around there all so night. Wanted to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't what I didn't want. Well, he was actually already with Nora. Right. at that time yeah. so Nora used to come round and she used to invite me round anyway yeah. so often Laura would be there and he, John was never alone anyway yeah. and and um, you know it was only a childish it was only like a schoolgirl crush yeah. it was, I didn't really want it to go anywhere yeah. but I just had a little bit of a crush on Johnny Lydon As we've explained you have an interesting enough real name so when and how and why did you change your name to Polystyrene? Well I didn't change it my manager changed it um, I think he thought he used to call me Marie for short Marie Elliot. And um, I think he thought it was a bit pedestrian. So he, although my name's Marianne Elliott Said, um, he just decided, he said one day, I've got a name for you. And I think it was after he went to see Snatch. Did you ever remember Snatch? Judy Nylon and Patty Paladin. Yeah. And I think because she was called Judy Nylon, mm. I think he thought, oh, polystyrene. And yeah. I think that's where he got it from. And I just said, I, see, I did actually say, is it in yellow pages? <laughs> 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 it's a fantastically memorable name, though. I mean, were you quite chuffed to have it? To I quite liked yeah. it at the time, but yeah. I did develop a bit of a, what do you call it? A, a, An identity crisis. I did a bit, yeah, because yeah, I started putting all the plastic on and the, the going for, I looked it up and saw, I knew what polystyrene tiles were, but I looked it up and I worked out it meant many and poly means many and, mm. you know, and plastic and I got really into it. And, um, yeah, then I, it was a bit difficult because I thought I always have to be this character. It's like having a part. Where did the name X-ray Specs come from? That came because my mother's sister during the war was um, a GI bride. And she used to send me comics. And always in the back of American comics, yeah. there was these adverts for X-ray Specs, either with a, a nude lady that you could see or a see skeleton. <laughs> and so I just got it from there because I thought it was a good... I just remembered it in my childhood and I thought, that's a good name, X-Ray Specs. So I came up with the name of the band, but I didn't come up with polystyrene. But you explained earlier that your mum was not very keen on you going into music, especially the punk uh, music. Um, when you first... Did you come home one day wearing really punky outfits? And oh, she would have walked down the street with me. Really? Well, I used to wear... And it's, it's pretty tame, actually, when I think about it now. Um... 
I used to wear odd day glow socks. Mm -hmm. I used to like day glow because I had the song called Day Glow. And I used to wear these socks and I used to wear little stilettos with them and I used to roll the socks down and wear an orange one on this foot and a pink one on that foot. I just, I'm not walking down the street with you like that. But actually, that's not that bad these <laughs> days, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Also, having come from a very modest background, amazing to you that very quickly people saw you uh, as a role model. Well, I kind of, you know, when you're young, you kind of enjoy that to a certain extent. I remember when I, I used to play, and then they used to come up dressed like, you know, they used to see me in record mirror, and then they'd turn up to the gigs in similar looks. And I kind of liked that because I, I was young and I was a bit of an ego. It's, you know, I had a little bit of an ego there, and. Um, you know, because I'd grown up looking at pop stars and liked that whole thing myself. I remember studying all the Beatles songs. I used to study their lyrics and study their writing. And so when it happened to me, I just thought, oh, getting like the Beatles or something. You know what I mean? Not that I've got the money that have sold the records that the Beatles have sold. But there was a kind of a sort of a... Because I, I admired all these songwriters when I was a child. I wasn't very academic really one of the things that I could get into was lyrics in and uh, you must have been writing some of the really you know X-ray Specs hits quite early on I, think so. I was writing all those little they were like little punk anthems really yeah. so I tried to think what, what was the breakthrough do you think I don't know I suppose it all happened very quickly I think it was when we went with EMI I mean it started with Obondage Applause but that was with Virgin but when we went with EMI there was a guy there called Phil Presky and he really liked us and we were like his pet project. Let's go back to Virgin for a second. That was Richard Branson very early on. Did you meet him? Yeah. Tell me about a young Richard Branson. Very nice guy. I don't know what he's like now. He was a bit of a geek in those days, wasn't he? Um, people used to think Richard Branson was a hippie and they would never make it because he had long hair. and he, You know, the punks all had short hair. And they, I remember them all taking the mickey out of Richard Branson saying that he's a hippie and he'll never make it. Because he used to walk around in his jeans, jumpers, you know those Peruvian ones, mm -hmm. those, and T-shirts and long blonde hair. And I used to bump into him in Portobello Road, which was near Vernon Yard, and he'd say, hello, Polly. And I always thought he was an extremely nice guy. But my manager didn't get on well with him too, too much. He used to call him a megalomaniac. <laughs> and um, when we signed with EMI, my manager said, Richard Branson shook me in the office. Because we didn't sign with Virgin for the oh, for the album. Were you you disappointed that you didn't? Have you regretted that ever? Yes and no. I mean, when you think about Culture Club, I think they did do quite well with Virgin. Mm. Um, but we, I do own the actual product. Whereas with um, Virgin, Virgin they were forever and ever. And I don't know. I mean, I was only young. My manager just said, what do you want to do? He said that EMI for giving you a really good royalty rate. The only person that gets a higher royalty rate than that is Paul McCartney. So was it quite a, a, quite a, uh, it a was, draw for you, the fact that that was the Beatles record label? I suppose so, mm. yeah. Because being young, you think mm. the Beatles, and if you're a fan of the Beatles, and then you think you're going on the same label as the Beatles. I looked up this morning to see where in the charts own bondage of, your, of yours had got on, and it didn't even chart. No, because it was, it was considered subversive and it, it was banned. But it must have sold a lot of copies. It's still selling. So it sold, but it was never officially allowed to chart? Is that no, no, it was banned, I think, at the time by the BBC. Because the lyrics aren't that bad, are they really? It's just the no, bondage people get scared of, isn't it? I think it's maybe bondage, but bondage is even in the Bible, so it's not really a bad mm. word. It's just, it's up yours, I think, maybe, but, uh, by swearing, isn't it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit, but, yeah. you know, it's 
it's not like saying yeah. the F word, it's, you know. And over the years, have people quoted those famous opening lines from O Bondage at you in the street? No, but I, I do think lots of girls like that. I mm. realise that that got me a big girl following because some people think little girls should be seen yeah. and not heard. Do you agree? Have you ever agreed with that? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I do think we do have to uh, to speak up a little bit and, we, you know, I, d I don't believe in... I know Prince Charles has said something about he's quite old-fashioned. He likes that, you know, that old-fashioned way. Mm. Women should be seen and not heard so much. But um, I... You know, I'm of a slightly different generation, a bit younger, and I think, you know, we need to uh, have a voice. You know what? I actually am quite traditional myself. I would have liked to have just been a housewife, but I just didn't get the husband to be a housewife. How do you feel these days looking at pictures and footage of yourself as a punk rocker? What do you think? I think I was quite cute. Mm. <laughs> That's quite what... cute. It's probably not the first word that comes up, actually, was it? <laughs> well, I do. I feel quite... In I think it's quite endearing. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only, I was yeah. only an 18-year-old girl, you know. But do you think, wow, I was talented, or wow, I was... I just think... Yeah, I did. When I saw, I saw myself on YouTube recently, I went on to Last FM, yeah. and I saw me doing Warrior and Woolworths on the old grey whistle set. I thought, God, I was really good then. And I just think, oh, I'm not as good as that now. But, you know, I just think, oh, I was really good then. You weren't the most promotional-looking front woman mm -hmm. for a band. I think in a way, it suited the punk era to have someone different. Maybe. I mean, I had braces on, so yeah. I did actually um, purposely try and make myself look more... I knew I didn't want to look. I didn't want to be like Kathy Kirby, or Marilyn Monroe, or uh, Debbie Harry. especially she was a big thing at the time. Yeah, she was a big thing. But um, I mean, I met Debbie. I mean, she used to wear good makeup. She is. She was attractive. Um, but I mean, she always had a ton of makeup on. And and when we were young, because we came from the kind of more working class background that we came from, where, where I grew up. Um, it was like you didn't want to be called a slag, so you didn't want to look too tarty, you know, too sort of doled up. And we did the opposite because we, it was there was a lot of pressure on girls from my background not to be a tart. Mm. So like if Sophia Loren came on with a big cleavage, I mean, obviously, I, um, they go, oh, she's got her tits out, tart, mm. and it was like. <laughs> I had those outfits and I had a lot from Oxfam as well mm. and and because I was younger um, I it wasn't that I hadn't gone through a more glamorous period before that but having the braces on made me feel unattractive anyway so I thought I'll go the whole hog <laughs> Problems with fans, with over enthusiastic male admirers or whatever. Well, it did on stage, on stage only. Right. Yeah. And what would happen on stage? They'd, they'd come up and try and grab you. Or yeah. They well, they used to grab things from me. You know, like badges. Like I used uh, to wear little badges and trinkets, and they just used to come up and grab things off of me. But it yeah. wasn't that bad. I mean, to be yeah. honest, I quite enjoyed them coming on stage. Yeah. I was fairly good natured. I used to share the microphone with them. They used to come on stage and. Single bondage up yours because that would never happen now because of security, it's mm. not allowed. Did you ever do anything like spit at your audience? Never, like never. No, I would never do that. I, I'm just not in my nature to spit. So were you ever told to though to get more outrageous and more? No, nobody ever did that. Um, my manager wasn't really like that. He always thought that Malcolm McLaren was a bit of a, a cad for making it really difficult for the pistols, you know, making them seem more outrageous because they mm. were the ones that had to live with it. 
and it wasn't nice, they were hated. I mean, I know what it was like for them because I lived in the same neighbourhood. Um, so they, you know, it, my manager wasn't really like that. Um, he never really told me to do anything outrageous. I remember the slits, apparently, they were managed by Don Letts, and she, Don, this is calling to Don, I don't know whether it's true, he said, oh, because I said, oh, I think they're a bit girly, the slits. And he said, you think they're girly? She used to piss on stage. And I was like, oh, God, you know. So, I mean, that he was their manager. Whether they actually did that or not, I mm. don't know. But, yeah, there were those type of bands and managers that might want to do that just to get scandalous headlines. I, to I was told that when Jimmy Percy played here on Hastings Pier, I was this is what somebody said here, I don't know whether it's true, they said he urinated in a beer glass and threw it over the audience. Gross. Gross. And there were all those stories of people like Alice Cooper biting off chickens' heads on yeah. stage. But no, I never had that, so I never would do that. We did get a few people spitting at us, which we didn't like. But we used to dress up a lot, and so we were always covered up. So we, we, toler you know, we tolerated it in the beginning. But then after a while, it stopped. We got our own audience. And I remember there was one really young boy, he was only about 10 or 11, and he got up on stage at the marquee and said, don't spit up Polly. And it was really good, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was <wow>. really sweet. <laughs> I did do something naughty once and uh, somebody threw a glass of beer over at me in Wales and I hit him over there with my microphone stand. Yeah. And did it hurt him? He didn't see me, but. He knocked unconscious as we can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> he was okay though. My manager thought it was funny, right. but um, that was the worst thing I've done. I did it once. Yeah. But it was just a, it was a quick react. it was an idiot reaction. Mm. In your spare time, were you told to sort of act rebellious if ever you see that in public, to sort of be a bit rude and everything? No, I wasn't. No, my manager just wasn't that type of manager. But he did encourage me. When I was a bit outrageous, then it would go great street cred. So I was encouraged in a... But not... It wasn't obvious. It was a subtle encouragement, you know, so I'd get praised for being a bit outrageous. If I was rude to a journalist or... If I was, you know, like, for instance, when I hit that guy over the head with the mm. thing, I was encouraged, I was sort of applauded mm. for being bad, which was a bit like Sid Vicious. He was applauded for being bad because he was entertainment for the rest of the... for John and all his friends. So if Sid was acting out outrageously, it's like, oh, look at Sid. <laughs> so he just played up to it more and more, which was to his detriment. What was a big contrast, though, when you did a big gig patch with other bands who were really outrageous and then just... You'd go off to a pub and just have a fag and a pint or something. Yeah, well, we used to go to Up All Night in the Fulham Road, mm. which was a bit more glamorous than going to a pub. Mm. We were quite quite an innocent band. Then. Mm. Um, we used to have prawn cocktails, cream caramel and hot chocolates. And that's what we used to do. Really, yeah, it, it did have yeah. alcohol, but yeah. we weren't big on the alcohol. And we used to drink hot chocolate. Mm. And we'd sit around there and it had lots of mirrors in it and it was 70s sort of kitsch kind of place but we thought that was quite glamorous and it was in the Fulham Road and, and it was up all night mm. so that's what we used to do after our gigs. How much did you get recognised in those days and how did you feel about it? I get recognised a lot. It wasn't great um, because my manager was my boyfriend at the time and uh, Falcon Stewart and um, I remember because he was my boyfriend he used to, he used to attract a lot of would-be singers Right, so he ended up sleeping with a lot of singers. So we'd go to airports and it'd be these girls just sort of like latching onto him. So I never liked it a lot. I didn't, I associated 
fame with um, sort of a lot of infidelity, really. Right. Yeah. And that wasn't your style? No, 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 no. I was pretty monogamous, wanted to get married and have a family. So in a way, it didn't necessarily suit you to be a kind of a punk rocker, really. Because it wasn't in your nature to be nasty. Because people would have assumed that you, you weren't very nice, I would have thought. Well, yeah, we used to try and pull ugly faces when we were singing and be, uh, but people, you know, it's like, um, it's like, you know, when children like horror movies or something and it, they know it's not real and it's just acting, you know, it's a bit like the bad guy in the pantomime or the, the, when you, the ugly sisters in the pantomime and everyone's boo, but, you know, they're enjoying it. So, you know, I don't... And uh, there was an interview with you from 1978. When you hardly looked at the interview, you were very, very shy. Were you actually a very shy person? Yeah, I was. I mean, the, yeah. the X-ray specs was an outlet. A persona. was a persona that I could yeah. get out of myself with. To it. And also, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be in with the Sex Pistols. I was only 18, mm. and I wanted to be part of the gang. You know. Do you feel you ever joined them? Did they ever welcome you in, as it were? Um, I was friends with John, and um, Sid Vicious was a bit outlandish. Um, but then people say he's really sweet. I didn't have a good experience with Sid Vicious. But, what was your experience um, It was just when I went to leave, he just got up with a great big knife and said, what's the matter, don't you like our company? And of course, I was terrified. Who else did you get to know during that era? Um, I knew most of the early ones, like Joe Strummer, not intimately. I never knew them intimately, but, you know, just being around on that scene, I always used to say hello to them and sort of run into them. What about Geldof, did you meet him? I did meet him. I remember once Goldoff came and went on one leg and kissed my hand. Really? At a, well, somewhere or other. <laughs> That's before he became so famous. But then I've seen him since then and said hello and he just ignored me. Maybe, yeah. And Adam Ant must have come a bit later, I should imagine. He came, um, he was there quite early because I used to give him, I gave him his first gigs at The Man in the Moon. Because that was our residency. No, I just yeah. gave him his own residency. You know, I gave him a night. I gave quite a few people, even Annie Lennox when she was with the tourists. And Susie Sue, she was very big, wasn't she? Did you get to know her? Not really. I used to see her around. I've seen yeah. her play, you know, at the Roxy in, the, in her early days. I haven't seen her as she's progressed. Um, I did really like Hong Kong Garden, but yeah. I liked the commercial songs better yeah. than the yeah. hard, edgy, punky ones. Did you feel part of a kind of pack of women that were pioneers? No, I, did, I didn't, to be honest. I just thought we were young girls and, you know, we were, I think at the time, we were highly competitive, you know. I was just, oh, Connor's got number one and, you know, I haven't and, you know, it was... But I've met Hazel since then and, uh, yeah, she's, she became Harry Kushner. At one time, yeah. yeah. Do you kind of regret that you didn't get number one, you didn't get top ten hits? Um, Do you kind of think that's a good that's part of the image that you shouldn't? I don't know. I think in retrospect, I mean, like, yeah, obviously, when you're young and you're into it in a, in a pop level, which I was kind of, they are pop songs, you know, they are mm. sort of like, although they're a bit different. I was trying to be credible and I, I chose melodies that weren't too cheesy, you know, too sweet, sweetie, sweetie, nicey, nicey. Um, so I was trying to be credible, but at the same time, I would have liked to have had a number one. Mm. But in retrospect, I think I've, I've got more of a cult following, which I think it does you good long, mm. long term. Mm. My album's still been on the shelves for 30 years. Did you? <laughs> um, you very quickly became a kind of icon. How, how did you feel about that? 
Well, at first I didn't like it because people used to come up to me and say, are you polystyrene? And I used to say, no. And they'd go, I didn't think you were. You're a lot prettier than she is. Exactly. So I didn't like it and I wish used to pretend I didn't. Because you wanted privacy. I, I just, yeah, when I was young I was a bit shy, basically, mm. so I didn't want to say I was polystyrene mm. and I felt a bit embarrassed about being this punk rocker and, mm. you know, with all the notoriety around the pistols and everything. I, I was trying to be sort of... Um, one of the most memorable sort of TV appearances you made during the punk era? I liked the old Grosser test. Right. I thought that was the best one that we did. Yeah, I yeah. do think that was the best one. I mean, obviously, Top of the Pops. Right. But, um, any I, memorable Top of the Pops? Or any, any, any the one I really no like, it, I haven't got any incidents at Top of the Pops. I just remember them making me look quite nice when I did German Friend Lessons. We went to makeup. Mm-hmm. And I never used to wear much makeup. I remember thinking, oh, this, looks, this is quite mm-hmm. good fun, all this makeup. So that was, that was nice. Um, there was never anything bad at Top of the Pops. It was always, I mean, TV was always very nice, very pleasant. It was very clean. It, it was always very nice. The only bad thing, I've, not bad thing, but memorable things, I do remember being banned by BBC. Uh, did you, when you started out, you became very successful very fast. Did you think it would last forever? If you'd been asked then, what would you be doing in 10, 20 years' time? Did, would you have said, oh, I'll still be doing this? Or do you think you knew somehow it was a very short-lived... I always thought it was going to be very short-lived, and to be honest, I always um, I'm amazed now that it sort of has a life. Because happened to the rest of the band, by the way. Well, they all did really well, my band. I mean, you know, like with after X-ray Specs, they all held down respectable uh, jobs. You know, they all nobody really died of drug overdoses or mm. anything like that. You know, really. What happened to you after X-ray Specs? Well, I ended up in the at the Maudsley. <laughs> <laughs> the Maudsley, yeah. which is a hospital. Yeah, I was told I could never work again. Right. So. But how, how long were you there for? Um, I was there for quite a while. I can't remember how long. And then. A year, two years. No, not that long. But as an out, I've I've been backwards and forwards since right. then. Yeah. They said I was bipolar. They right. said that in 1991. So right. for years, since I was 21 to 1991, they said I was. I thought I had schizophrenia. Right. They said you'll never work again, which is quite a damning thing. Yeah. So I didn't really like it when I was young and I fought against it. I made another album called Conscious Consumer, mm-hmm. made an EP called Gods and Goddesses. So I kept going at it, but my manager at the time, who's now dead, um, he didn't like me to play live anyway because he said that I had a baby and I had to be a role model for my daughter and she has grown up quite well balanced but he just said a lot of these celebrities, their kids end up a bit you know, all over the place and he just said, you know, don't just be a mum kind of thing and just do recordings. Did you ever come close to the kind of success that you had with uh, X-Ray Specs uh, in, in later years? No. No, no, it just always was X-ray specs. X-ray specs overshadowed everything that I did. So how did that feel? Were you very frustrated that you could not match that success again? I mean, a bit, you, yeah. That's so young, that success. Yeah, but now I've just grown to, you know, appreciate it and um, just realise that what I did was, was OK. I think because it was punk and everybody called it punk and said it was sort of the worst, you know, terrible thing, um, I think maybe I was trying to sort of be a bit more mainstream, you know, trying to sort of fit in, you know, I'm not this dreadful sort of punk rocker. Did you go on to perform as a solo artist? I wrote lots, I did lots of music, I wrote lots of music and I recorded music as a solo artist, but it's very um, different to X-Ray Specs and X-Ray Specs has been more popular than my solo work because people just like the 
broadcastness of extra specs. Why don't you give them what they want then? Well, I am now. I've come okay. round to that. So the new album, I'm giving them what they want. So who's the father of your daughter? A guy called Adrian Bell. Right. I was married, yeah. And he was your husband? Yeah, and I got married. I didn't have to get married. So, uh, where were you living at the time that you were married? And, uh, how long Holland were you married Park. How long were you married for? Well, um, we were only married for a year. Right. So we weren't married very long. But you had a child in that year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I got pregnant really quickly after marriage. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't regret it. I had a lovely child. It's a shame the relationship didn't work out, but we had a lot of pressure against against being together. What did he do for a living? He's a guitarist. Right. He's a rock guitarist. He, in your group? he wasn't in my group. We did do a little bit of music together but we didn't it didn't the relationship didn't really work out and I joined the Hare Krishna movement. Remember I was in the Krishna temple for many years. So I what did you living there? Yeah I lived there. I lived in Bhaktivedanta Manor, the house that George Harrison gave. Oh right, just living in orange robes I Well Saris. I lived there for over five years, and I quite enjoyed it because I came from a fairly modest background, so it, did, yeah. it didn't bother me. And um, I really, I have to be honest, I had a great time there. So, what brought you out of it into a more conventional lifestyle, like having a house? My ex-husband didn't like it. He said my daughter was being in a, was in a cult, oh, right. and so I had to go to family courts and things like that. Oh, and so, if I really wanted to see my have my daughter get custody of my daughter or have access to my daughter, I had to move away from the cult. How old was she then? How long About eight. Really? Yeah. Was that very distressing for you? Yeah. You felt you belonged there and yeah, it you was had very, security. Yeah, it was very distressing, but you know, so, yeah. But and I did a lot of food for life. You? Yeah, quite so a few people. Yeah, uh, well, I met a few people doing that. They just used to, I just used to invite them all to back to the temple. I brought loads of people to the temple. Boy George came, Hazel O'Connor came. I did, yeah, I met Hayley Mills there. Annie Lennox I brought to the temple. So you were responsible for Boy George becoming Harry? Yeah, you? I gave him his first Bhagavad Gita. Which means what? Song of God. I saw him recently, actually, yeah. after he came out of prison. I organised the chanting on that record. Bow down, Mister. Well, I organise all the devotees to get together and chant on it. How long did the Harry Krishnas take to you having been in a punk band and sort of, you know, being quite a, a rebel in your time? <laughs> well, I'd say I was more raucous than a rebel, mm. but um, no, they all liked it because if you think about the way they chant, like Harry Krishna on the street, some of them are pretty raucous themselves, aren't they? In attitude, perhaps, but not in lyrics. <laughs> no, not in lyrics, because they just chant the mantra. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't have any problem with you having... No, because the they... Well, well Bondage Up Yours, they thought was about liberation, about bond, about being... Because the theme of bondage is in the Hare Krishna scriptures, how to mm. get... Um, it's called moksha, when you want liberation, how right. to get free from bondage of material life. So they really liked it, you know, like the cycle yeah. of samsara, birth and death. So they took it like that. Because in a way, that's what you've claimed all along, that that's what it's more about freedom in a sort of slavery sense rather yeah. than in a, in, nothing to do with bondage in a sexual sense. No, exactly. I think people took it on that level and thought mm. it was a bit like that. But um, no, I never said it was like that. And that's why it says, chain smoke, chain store, I consume you all. And it says, um, I want to be a slave to you all, I bondage up you all. So I saw it like that, but I think people did take it in a sort of a slightly perverted way. But being very young, at the time I didn't really mm. twig onto that. Are you still a Hare Krishna? 
Well, I do follow the principles and I do chant Hare Krishna, but I would say I'm a plain clothes Hare Krishna. I don't dress up like it. Right. And when did you become more of a civilian Hare Krishna? I had to, to get my daughter back. That, so since then? Yeah. Right. Which is quite a long time. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm a, Sunday, I'm a Sunday devotee as well, really. Yeah. How difficult is it to, whatever you do in your life, you are best remembered for something you did as a teenager? <laughs> That's a little bit hard to live with. I think what it was as well, because I'd been diagnosed afterwards with schizophrenia, I'd associated maybe some of that punk stuff with being called schizophrenic. Mm. So I was like trying to be really low-key and just didn't want to have anything to do with it, you know. Um, but, you know, now I just, oh, just I'm grown up, you know, I'm 52 years of age and, um, you know, my daughter's 28. And I just think I had a bit of fun when I was a teenager. Funnily enough, it's still selling. I've just made a live album and a DVD. I got a record deal for that with a new label. And um, I'm just really amazed that it's just gone on as long as it has. My only disappointment is, is that I feel I can't... I, I'm always turning down live work. Like, I get promoters from America asking me. I just can't do it. Not on a... I couldn't do what the Pistols did. You know, they really made a lot of money because they did back-to-back... But then again, you, there, it does have a life, which shows that when I did the concert at the Roundhouse, um, and then it made me feel not so bad about it, that I actually could do it all these years later, and people loved it and knew it, and it was more, you know, no spitting. Um, <laughs> it was a lot better. <laughs> So you were married once, you're not married since? No, I did have a couple of arranged marriages when I was in the temple. I did, but I didn't, I didn't go for them, you know. Oh, we, you were offered a We were pressurised yeah. into getting yeah. arranged marriages, but I didn't actually stay with it. I got engaged for maybe four years, but I didn't, it didn't work out. So I've, I've been pretty unlucky in love. Are you with anyone these days? No, not really, no. no. How long have you been single for? Oh, years. Really? <laughs> yes. But I think a lot of it was to do with my illness. Right. I think that was a, an impediment in a relationship. Right. And also I've got to an age now where I, um, I've i just sort of hit the change of life. So I'm mm. not I'm not one of these ones that's going to rush around and get HRT. And mm. I'm just going to go with ageing gracefully. And, mm. you know, those um, relationship things. I mean, I, I suppose friendship's really good. But yeah. I've got lots of friends. I do have some male friends. But um, I just... I don't know, also I fell in love with a few gay people, so that didn't help. No. <laughs> and do you have much memorabilia of your punk days? Not a lot. I do have one poster, but it isn't here. I have an identity poster and another one I gave away to charity. And um, that helmet that I wore, I gave away to charity. You know, these charity shops, they write to mm. me online and say, will you donate something? And I just mm. donate objects. And I don't believe it, and I donated a lot of stuff like that military jacket I donated to the Krishna temple when I was there for their plays. Um, I just don't, um, I try not, to, I try to clear things out, I don't like clutter, I don't like having too much, it's not a very big house, so I can't keep too much anyway. And some people would be kind of amazed that, you know, someone who is so, I mean, internationally successful, <laughs> don't you? Why are you living in fairly modest circumstances? I, I don't know, I just think, you know, even my daughter says music is hard to make money out of. I mean, you do see some people that have made tremendous amounts of money out of it, but I just haven't, and I don't know whether it's because I've done bad deals. Have you ever taken a regular job anywhere? 
the I did have a shop here at once, a little shop, but I got burgled and had it to close down. Yeah. What type of shop was it? It was me sort of going to India. See those hippie bags there? Bringing all that, that type of stuff back. And, um, and sort of jewellery and clothes. And I did that for a while and then I had all my stock stolen and I had to close down. Why have you not written a book about your life? I, I just, I was asked, but then my lawyer didn't like the terms of the literary agent. So she said, sorry, and but so that was the end of it. why you just write it and present them and say, this is how it is, take it or don't take it? I mean, what a life you've had. Yeah. I mean, it would make a great movie one day, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It's definitely... Better to do it while you're alive than have yeah. someone else do it. I might do. I'm just not very disciplined at writing yeah. long... I like writing snappy, short things and to sit there and write. But maybe I should. It, it might be really... As I've been told I can't play live, maybe it will be a good thing for me to get into so I often thought about going into film, mm -hmm. you know, as a director, going on a course and studying to do film. There's still a tremendous affection in people, and people still really appreciate you. Does that give you a lift when you have your downtimes? It does a little bit. Like, I do cheer myself up by going on Last FM, and, and I've got a little bit of a cheer-up thinking I've got a live album and a DVD out, mm. especially knowing that I might not be able to do that much more live work. I was glad that I, I filmed that one. Do you think, in a way that it's a bit unbecoming anyway of a woman of 40, 52 to, to be doing that kind of I do think that, I think that. There comes a point where actually yeah. it doesn't look I do think that, and I, I, I would like to hand over the mantle to my daughter <laughs> and let her be polystyrene <laughs> or celestyrene or whatever. <laughs> yeah, is that polysquare, polystyrene <laughs> squares. <laughs> I do actually think that. I've, I've felt a bit like come on, this is a bit... But then people say, oh, you shouldn't be like that. Like Caroline Kuhn, she's going, oh, no, 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 what's wrong with Zimmer frames yeah. on stage? Sure. Caroline Kuhn is a journalist that used okay. to work for NME and, right. and Melody Maker. She's quite elderly. And she says, oh, no, the Rolling Stones, everybody's taking the mickey out of the Rolling Stones because they're so old and they're still doing it. You should do it. You're really Not good for girls. They were all older artists. I know, I feel a bit embarrassed by it. Myself, I just think it, it, it looks a bit sad, like you haven't made enough money to retire. Do you think then that uh, there will come a point where you would draw a line under it anyway and, and just stop? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it gets a bit ungracious. Mm. And maybe if I was really skinny like Chrissy Hines, she, she still loves it. Because I said to her, oh, I don't really like playing love. She goes, oh, I love it. Or do you not look back with regrets? Not really, no. I think, you know, I, I did what I did. I've got a legacy of work. I'm still considered quite cool and hip. And if you have grandchildren one day, and they say to you, Grandma, what was the big moment for you? What was your absolute treasured moment as a punk rocker? <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> um, I can't say. I'll say meeting David Bowie. Into Wembley and I got backstage and met David Bowie. And uh, David Bowie came out and says, Hello, Polly. How are you? And gave me a kiss on the cheek. And I suppose that was the highlight because because he said hello, Polly, and yeah. he knew who I was because yeah. I didn't expect him to know who yeah. I was. Because you don't think, you know, when you're, yeah. you don't think of yourself that somebody like David Bowie would know who you were. And apparently, he really liked the second album. They think that David Bowie knew who polystyrene was. He's from Bromley as well. He was born, yeah, yeah. Bromley Beckenham and and Brixton as well. My my yeah. sister used to live, funnily enough, used to live in his old flat. In Brixton. Did you have much of a chat with David? Not really, it was just, hello Polly, how are you? And I remember I had a Krishna garland and I gave him a Krishna garland. Oh, and also at that gig, there was a guy from the Pet Shop Boys and, and Noel Gallagher was there oh, backstage. Yeah. And he goes, you're that polystyrene, aren't you? 
Yeah. <laughs> this time you admitted it. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Because yeah. I hadn't been in action for a long time, no. you know, done anything. Well, do you sign autographs as polystyrene? I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they want, you know. Yeah. I have to give people what they want. You really have been two very different people, Marianne and Polly. I mean, really. I don't, I don't know. Because, you know, I, somebody said it's in my birth chart. Somebody was looking at my birth chart, Vedic Astrology. And they said there's a very different persona it shows in my birth chart. The one that is projected out to the public is very different to actually who yeah. I am. In a way, it's quite good, though, isn't it? Because you have a stage persona and, and, and you can be yourself. That's true, yeah. So, I mean, in, in a way, it's quite good because it means that you don't ha I mean, if you were... I mean, obviously, I don't have the notoriety around me anymore. Um, but it is, I do feel more comfortable when I go out in ordinary places like the bank and places like that just to say Marianne Elliot Said rather than polystyrene. Yeah. <laughs> they would look at me like, you know, polystyrene, what a weird name. Do you think you've been given the credit that you deserve? Oh, I don't really think about it anymore. Mm. It's part of being a Hare Krishna on the spiritual path. You think it's called self-aggrandizement and you not suppose it's not it's not advantageous for spirituality mm. to have self-aggrandized, you know, to seek self-aggrandizement. And, you know, hopefully many decades to come, you've left this planet. How do you want people to remember you? Um, I hope that they remember Krishna through me, because <laughs> I think that Krishna is um, really, you know, at the time of death, you know, we can't take our wealth with us. Um, name, fame and, and adoration and distinction go when you die. You know what I mean? They're, they're right, they're left behind a little bit. But if people can think of me and remember Krishna and then just maybe take up understanding the purpose of life, I think that would be a good that would be good enough. So Harry Krishna is more important to you than polystyrene? Um ultimately I do believe it's the salvation of the soul is more important than the material body. But I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not I do think polystyrene has been good and I've tried to use it responsibly. I don't think I've done anything to mislead people. Or um, My daughter said, well, your music will go on you know, after your dad. It, 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 it transcends you.